Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well-lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. What can fit in the palm of your hand curls up into a ball when cold and is also the most beautiful thing you'll ever see. Welcome to Look At Me, I'm Benjamin Law. Now, everyone's distracted by the well-known Australian animals like the Tassie Devil, the Dingo, the Frill-Necked Lizard, much beloved, arguably overrated. But what about the ones that sleep for half a year, literally lives under a rock, and we actually thought was dead for half a century? Yeah, just get on with it, mate, come on. Hey, it's Chris, my best friend and future husband. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Chris, this is our last episode. I'm going to miss this. I'm going to miss us, and I'm going to miss the animals. Yeah, you know, but it's a bit. It's, it's kind of like when I first started drinking coffee. It was mm. kind of a bit bitter, and it, it kind of made me sick. But I, I, I've slowly become addicted to this, and uh, I've gotten used to your face and your presence. And... Oh, thanks, Chris. I've gotten used to your presence too. You've revealed so much of yourself to me. Mm over these episodes and I'm just talking about you being constantly naked but in terms yeah, of well, animals it wasn't my idea I've learned so much and you've revealed so much about Australian wildlife I've learned things that I'll cherish for the rest of my life and I've learned things that I frankly can't erase from my mind so it's with great trepidation and anticipation that I ask you what is this final beast you're unleashing in front of my face today Ben, what I've got for you today, um, look, it's arguably the cutest animal. You would say that. I would say that. Um, but, which, but it's not a trick this time. This is what we're looking at. This, oh, that is cute. So It's like a little, it looks like a possum. That's the first thing that comes to mind, like a little maybe sugar glider vibe. Yeah, so this is a tiny little possum. So this little one is curled into a wee little ball. It's got its little paws and its feet all tightly bundled together. Its eyes are closed. And when I see it, I just want to squish it. You know what it looks like? It looks collectible like a Pokemon. Am I looking at a baby version of the possum or is that like a full adult version? Because it looks like a baby. Like that looks like something from an Angetti's calendar. Yeah. So this is actually an adult and, you know, it's tiny. It's cupped in, in someone's hands. So it's a very small possum. Uh, so, Ben, where do you think this possum lives? Okay. Well, you've tricked me so many times that I don't trust you. I haven't you, tricked you, just ignorant. Or men, generally, anymore. Uh, I want to say trees, but you're asking me this question. That's a leading question, and I don't want to say trees because I don't want to be hurt again. I want to say it lives 
in the ground, or I want to say that it lives in a burrow, or I want to say that it lives in an air-conditioned shopping centre. Where does it live, Chris? I need to know. We have possums across Australia from arid zones to rainforests to our beautiful mountain pygmy possums that live in the boulder fields above 1,400 metres. So very much in our alpine zone at Mount Kosciuszko, Mount Buller and up in the Bogong High Plains around places like Mount Hotham and Mount Locke. This is Dr Marissa Parrott from Zoos Victoria. She's a reproductive biologist and she's obsessed with the mountain pygmy possum. Like she had a like a fangirl kind of poster of this possum on her wall since age 10. So she's the one to listen to when it comes to this animal. So these possums aren't climbing trees. They are living under rocks. They live in the boulder fields, which is a really deep area full of rocks and crevices, but they are actually good climbers too. So they climb Podocarpus and Pymelia and the other native vegetation, but it's safest for them down in the rocks and that's where they also spend their time to sleep. So being an alpine mammal, an alpine marsupial, they're not found anywhere else. They're not found further down the mountain. You're not going to find these possums kind of running across your fence in suburban Melbourne. It would be wonderful if these gorgeous little possums were more widespread, but they very much stay in the alpine zone. And in fact, you can think of them as islands in the sky. They have to stay where there's good snow cover and where there are safe boulder fields. And so you really only find them in very small areas of Australia. So the next time someone says to you, what, have you been living under a rock for the last 20 years? A pygmy possum would say, yes, and do you have a problem with that? I want to know about the logistics of living under a rock. How does that happen? Because wouldn't you just be flattened underneath? Are they burrowing underneath the rock? Essentially, so these, these rocks, they're different, they're different sized rocks. A lot of them are quite big, right? They're boulders and they're kind of sitting on top of each other. So there's plenty of space and kind of gaps and crevices oh. for something of this size. As you saw, it's very small. It fits in the, the sort of the palm of your hand, mm. curled up into a little cute ball there. Um, so, you know, they, they can find their way in those rocks quite So rocks quite of easy. different sizes bunched up together essentially form an ecosystem under which they can live. Absolutely. And why are they living in such cold climate and how can they? Yeah, so why are they living up there? I mean, that's that's interesting. Um, I guess these boulder fields, um, they've been created from, well, they're basalt, mm-hmm. which means a long, long time ago in Australia, there was uh, a lot of volcanic activity. So these, these boulder fields are... F- it's effectively like rivers of rocks. They're like these streams of rocks going down mm. the mountain that were once lava flows. Okay. And so they've dried and they've cracked and turned into rocks. And these possums have, have found a home here and, and taken advantage of this environment. How does a tiny little possum survive in one of Australia's harshest environments? For a start, they sleep for those really harsh periods of the year. So the mountain pygmy possum is Australia's only hibernating marsupial and it's our only mammal found strictly in the alpine zone. They're very specially adapted to live in such a tough and extreme climate. They spend five to seven months asleep under the snow every year and snow cover is crucial for them surviving winter. The possums will cache food, that means they store it in special little storage areas around their nests, so that if they wake during winter, they have a snack. But they really do rely on hibernation to survive this extreme time. 
they can drop their body temperatures down to around three degrees. Their little hearts beat only a couple of times per minute and they reduce their metabolism by about 98% or more. So they're very well adapted to sleep throughout winter and to survive to breed in spring. I imagine there are a lot of non-Australian listeners who are really surprised that we have weather conditions that are that cold in the first place. But what I'm surprised by is that we have animals that are essentially hibernating like bears that are like Sigourney Weaver in the Alien films going into hypersleep. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it's it's bears or perhaps, yeah, Sigourney Weaver with a pouch um, <laughs> living under rocks. Um, <laughs> I don't know Sigourney Weaver firstly. Maybe she has a pouch. Maybe she has a pouch. <laughs> we'll need to check. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah, um, most, you know, if, if you're coming from the Northern Hemisphere mm. or even from, you know, South America, um, those continents are a lot more mountainous than ours. You know, alpine environment in Australia is about 1% of our land mass. Our mountains are great. They're fantastic. They're beautiful. But compared to, you know, the Alps in Europe or the Himalayas, they're not quite there. so But still a hostile environment totally. for, for mammals especially. But this creature has not only adapted to that environment but thrives in it. Like it's not found anywhere else except this cold environment. That's right. It's, it's stuck uh, in these islands in the sky. Hmm. We think of the mountain pygmy possum as Australia's biggest losers but also biggest gainers. During autumn they have to put on a lot of weight to be heavy enough to survive a long winter. So they get up to about 80 grams. Over winter, they then lose half their body weight and they'll start the spring breeding season when they awake from hibernation as little as 40 grams. It's really important then that they have a very good food source and they rely on the bogong moth migration with moths travelling from as far afield as New South Wales and even southern Queensland to arrive in waves and to have enough food to breed and to raise their young. Biggest loser, biggest gainer. We don't want to body shame these animals necessarily, but if they were humans, they would be tabloid fodder in terms of how much they can put on weight and how much they can lose weight. Like That is drastic, losing half their weight and gaining it. Is that kind of like a necessity of their hibernation patterns? Yeah, so what they, they, they obviously need these fat reserves in order to be able to sleep through this winter period. Occasionally they'll wake up during that winter, have a bit of a snack with that food that they've cached near them. They put on that fat reserve so that um, they can get through the winter. But then obviously winter finishes, they've lost half their body weight. They're bloody hungry. Mm. And one of the ways that they address that hunger is... Bogong moths. Now, if you haven't been to Canberra, Australia's national political capital, it's like Washington DC in the bush. Uh, there are these massive bogong moth migrations that kind of come through and a lot of humans find it really disturbing and kind of gross, but great food source for this particular animal. That's right. These moths are hatching down here in the lowlands. And then they're, after they pupate, they're basically migrating up to, it's called estivating. Um, so basically they're, they're just chilling out during the winter um, up there in the alpine environment. And that's like a bunch of cheeseburgers or donuts rocking up to, you know, for just falling from the sky for really hungry possums. They're super rich with fat, aren't they? Yeah, fats and proteins that these possums really need now because they want to get going for, for reproduction and things like that. <laughs> the, um, the moths, when they do come in their usual numbers, 
it's um, the people who don't like moths are just freaking out because they're in buildings. Um, they get into lodges. <laughs> they, if you walk around at dusk, you will literally be walking in a flying storm cloud of moths. That sounds awesome. It's I'm really cool. keen on that. Yeah. But I do, like my sister growing up, if I found a moth, I could just chase her like six Ks, you know, with that. Like, so I know people are freaked out by them. They are quite vicious moths, aren't they? <laughs> well, um, Bev, Georgina and Naomi are part of the environment team at the Mount Hotham Alpine Resort. We used to love arriving um, at 8 o'clock in the morning in the village bus and all the moths would be uh, tucked up under the... Um, the eaves of the um, the um, tourist lounge, and we would go in and we'd wait for someone who didn't like them, and then we'd bang the door, and they'd all drop down, just thousands, clouds of them. So they're obviously in buildings, but also in the um, the rock screes and anywhere where they can tuck themselves away. My daughter, when we were living up here, what Bev was saying about the... I remember we lived at the back of the Alberg, a sliding door. The same thing had happened and it had just filled up one night with moths that had been attracted to the artificial light and she had to walk through them and the second the door opened, it was like this little shower of moths on it. She screamed the whole way through and she was a bit scarred by that one, I think. <laughs> what I think is really amazing about the Bogong moth is that it's a really obvious link for how a completely different environment up in the alpine realm of Australia is intimately connected with the lowlands down here where we're mm. living. What happens down here affects what happens up there. If anything goes wrong due to things like climate change or droughts and the bogong moths don't arrive, it can mean real problems for animals like mountain pygmy possums and other species that rely on them across their range. We normally are just inundated with millions of them and this year uh, a serious uh, shortage you've been counting haven't you you have been keeping an eye on them and they're very low this year why do why do we think that that is there's a couple of theories getting around or ideas getting around um well they come from the central uh flatland areas so um, areas that have currently been affected by drought perhaps the um cutworm larvae had insufficient food this year um it's yeah that's one of the theories uh their climate climate changing wind directions i was keeping an eye on that and they were a bit unusual this year um i thought but yeah it definitely needs more research the mount pygmy possum like so many of that the animals we've already discussed sounds like it lives in such a specific geographical and geological part of australia it's, it's contained to a very particular part of the country and its needs are very particular too. And one of its needs is diet. So if something changes on the other side of the country that affects its diet and bogo moth migrations become lower, this has consequences, right? Yeah, totally. Um, so they're, you know, they are in this particular, this really specific part of um, Australia that may seem far off to a lot of us mm. um, in our Sydney apartments, sipping our lattes, Ben. Um, but the reality is, it's intimately connected with what's going on elsewhere. So mm. if those if those moths with all their protein and carbohydrates don't make it up to the mountain. The possums, they do have other food they can they can go to, um, vegetation, but 
a lot of them might just not get the reserves of energy they need to make it um, to have a successful reproductive period. So why Mount Hotham in particular? Why have you gone to this place in particular to chat to folks? Excellent question, Ben. So Mount Hotham is a really important place in the story of this possum. And here's why. We're at Mount Hotham. This is this is ground zero for Europeans working out that these things were still around. Is that right? Well, they were thought to be extinct. And there were a, um, a group of people in University Ski Club, which was just below the road, in fact, above where we're standing right now. This was back in 1968, I think, 66, 68. Um, and the people saw this little animal just cruising around the uh, lounge room and it was seemed to be quite friendly. It wasn't dashing around madly like a mouse and they were able to pick it up quite easily and one of the people there um, was going to take it home as a, a pet for his his child. And when he got back to Melbourne, one of his uh, scientific buddies said, let's have a look at this little animal and opened its mouth and saw the two big premolars which are in the lower jaw and therefore grinding up the seeds that they collect. And he it made world scientific news. It wasn't probably in the general news, but in scientific circles, this was akin to finding, the way it's been described to me, um, akin to finding a dinosaur. It was very exciting. and you know, They were thought to be extinct, and he was this little animal sort of in a lodge at Mount Hotham. Wait, wait, wait. They were thought to be extinct, and then they found a population of them again? How often does that happen? Not particularly often. It's happened with with a few other species, but yeah, that's right. So basically it was known from the fossil record uh, and the swing in 60s, some bloke was like, hey, this cruisy little mammal in the lounge room, that's a pet now. Um, Don't do that. Just don't ever do that, people. Um, so he's taken it. He's taken it home, and his friend, who's zoologically educated, um, was like, "What the hell is this?" Had a look at its dentition, and from the dentition, could see, you know, compare it with the fossils, and basically say, "Holy crap! You've got yourself a mountain pygmy possum there." It's dentition, as in it, the it's shape teeth. of its teeth. Yeah, its teeth, um, which were really uh, characteristic because of its diet compared to other possums, and so. We knew from the fossil record that they existed, but prior to the 1960s, no one had then seen a live one in in recorded history. Maybe some other people at ski clubs had noticed them, but no one had really, you know, no one had pocketed one, I guess. (laughs) Um, So it's perhaps one of the few occasions where um, illegally taking an animal from the, well, I guess it wasn't the wild, it was a lounge room, but either way... um, Perhaps one of the few cases where something like that turned out to be, you know, a success for the species because now we know about it and we can do stuff to help it. So this bloke just picked one up, like it was just quite happy to be picked up. Yes, yeah, they, they don't sort of scurry around like a mouse. You can, um, well, um, in past years before they did the refurbishment at that lodge, um, our lodge managers would be um, helping us with some environmental programs. And to, this is in winter, and to thank them, um, I would take a group of them down. Um, after dinner at USC to view the pygmy possums and what we would do um, with the members that were there and we always did it with their permission we'd go in and they had these old fashioned stove tops we'd smear a little bit of peanut butter on the stove and you'd just stand there and wait it didn't have to be particularly quiet and the pygmy possums would just appear and you'd put your hand out and they would happily walk onto your hand and I've got photos of them on people's heads and they were just completely relaxed um, and it, would, it was just a great educational experience. It made these people realise what they were 
very special um, and what we were talking about and why we would go into this extent to protect and look after them. And we take photos and then they'd just be put back on the stove and they'd disappear. And there was Why were they in the stove? <laughs> oh, because, <laughs> because that was the access. They were those old-fashioned, um, very heavy metal stove tops. And uh, because it was a very old lodge, apparently you could, well, if you're a pygmy possum, you could come from the basement where the, a lot of the original stonework still was and they would be able to sort of come up through the interior of the building and they'd end up at the back of the, um, the stove top. But there's also a sign on the oven saying, please check the oven before you turn it on. In case you get possum pie. Or... <laughs> In case there was a, a possum had got in through the back of an of a oven, yeah. Okay, that is wild. First of all, discovering the mammalian equivalent of a dinosaur in your ski resort, but just the fact that they're just holding them, posing with them on their heads. This is one very trusting animal, and yet humans have built a ski resort over their habitats. Should this animal be trusting us? I don't think any animal should be trusting us. Um, but so as we talked about, these ski lodges have been plopped kind of in, in the middle of their habitat. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is we also put the Great Alpine Road right between their habitat. So we talked about these boulder fields, these kind of like rivers of rock that these possums need to be able to traverse. They're quite thin habitat and they run up and down the mountain. This is their road. This is That's their road, that's right. And we've cut through that with our road. And so when was this road put in originally? Oh, the actual road? Oh, wow, God, way, way back. It was originally, going right back to mining and cattle stock days, a track back as far as that, back into like the 1850s. And slowly over the years, it's become and grown to the transport um, arterial road that it is today. So it's the main road that links northeast Victoria with Gippsland, Victoria. Um, it's subjected to cattle trucks, to all sorts of kitten caboodle. So um, it's a pretty big, busy road, and it's a pretty high-intensity tourism road as well. Yeah. Okay, a huge road going through a small little mammal's habitat does not sound like a recipe for good times. <laughs> no, it's no, it's it's not. And you know, you're seeing how tiny these these uh, possums are. They wouldn't really want to cross open road like that. So they wouldn't stand a chance. Wouldn't stand a chance if they even had the courage to do it, because it's so alien to them to have to to want to like move through that kind of habitat, right? Um, so Mount Hotham put in something called the Tunnel of Love. Ooh. So what we're looking at is like a pile of rocks and the rocks are kind of going up the, the sort of shoulder of the road here where the road's been cut through the mountain. And as it comes down here, the shoulder of the road, yeah. it's going, there's, there's a tunnel underneath the road. Yes. And so the possums are living in the boulder fields behind us, lower down. The females above, the males below, and it's basically a corridor so the two can meet. So why we call it the love tunnel down. The original was called the love tunnel because this is why it was put in, because the road going through divided the two groups, and the girls need to meet the boys. So it's not just so it's not just separate populations. No, no, it's it's it's, 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 the, it's the female population tend to get the better pickings up higher, and the boys are shoved down below. It's just the way it happens. We're up here in our fancy boulder field, and the riffraff's down <laughs> below. <laughs> The, the girls are generally higher, and normally without the road, they would just travel back and forth through a naturally occurring boulder uh, field, and we 
created that tunnel, that, that access for them. The tunnel of love. So as much as humans can be an impediment for this species, we're also, in our own way, helping facilitate their population growth. They're segregated by sex. There's, wait, the women are on top, is that right? The women are up the mountain and the boys are kicked down to... Looking down, sneering at them, men knowing their place. They're they're down below in the trash. How does that even work out in nature? Do they kind of sort themselves out? Do their genders need that uh, biologically for some reason? How does that all work? Well, it's funny because in captivity where, uh, you know, at Hillsville Sanctuary where there's a breeding program, males and females happily nest together. Oh, so, but in captivity, there's as much food as you want, right? Right. So maybe what's happening here is because resources in alpine environment can be scarce at times, um, they've evolved to basically um, have leave females. You, you, you girls stay up here with the better pickings because you've got to raise babies, oh. and we're going to go down and have our male anarchist time down here in the back. I don't know the bachelor boulder fields. But they're also slightly self-sacrificial in that way. Like the the male uh, mountain pygmy possums know that they're kind of less needed in the grand scheme of things? Possibly, but uh, I, I mean, mean the females... I should probably know that too. We should. Um, females probably are really protective as well when it comes to the breeding season. Once once they've got babies, they're probably like, everybody get the, get the hell off my mountain. Right, so they're not necessarily being protected. They're just kind of like, actually, we are warrior women and you will not get near us, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. And I, like, who knows what's happening down in Bachelor Boulderfield, um, but... A lot of homosexuality. <laughs> So, you know, but I, I just, I, I think I think it's hilarious because once a year the, all these males are like, I just have this strong impulse to go up the mountain and really annoy these females. Annoy them or fool around? Fool around. And, you know, they're star-crossed lovers. You know, we put this road through and that was making it really difficult for, for mm. the boys to get to the girls. Very few were meeting up. But now, um, now love can happen. Love can flourish. And this is why, you know, you know, humans can relate to this because from my understanding, this is why most people go to ski resorts as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's an initiation ceremony of another kind. Okay, Ben, we've, so we've kind of solved this problem of putting a road through their habitat, through their, you know, passage of genes, if you will. The problem, but there's bigger problems for this possum, right? And we've hinted at this. And that's things like climate change. Marissa, when most people think about possums, um, the concept of possums being endangered or in low numbers doesn't really come to mind. They seem to be everywhere around my house. Why is this particular species so threatened? While some possums have adapted really well to people and to suburbia, other species like the mountain pygmy possum are critically endangered. And that can be for a number of reasons, such as the destruction of their habitat, predation by introduced species like cats and foxes, and for the mountain pygmy possum, climate change. Pygmy possums need a really thick blanket of snow to be able to hibernate effectively. When you have a thick blanket of snow down in the boulder fields, it's a really stable temperature at about three degrees Celsius. If you don't have that snow, that temperature can vary wildly from minus 10 to 15 degrees, temperatures that will wake the mountain pygmy possums. If they don't have a good hibernation period, there isn't enough food for them to survive winter. So without an adequate blanket of snow, they could all die. Wow, that is depressing to hear. 
I mean, they're, they're such sensitive creatures uh, and they have certain needs. It makes me think all over the world over the last few years, we've had the hottest years ever recorded in human history. And here in Australia, we've really felt the effects of that. So if that continues and not just continues, but gets worse, we are probably going to obliterate this tiny little species. You know, you're talking about how these possums live in a really specific part of the country. The yeah. alpine environment used to be larger in Australia. The alpine environment in Australia is getting smaller and more and more so now because of anthropogenic climate change. Mm. So the snow line is retreating. Um, the amount of snow cover we tend to get is less and less. So as the inhabitable environment contracts, we assume their population will too? We don't know, but you know, there's only so far up a mountain you can go. So it's a little bit like the islands we talk about in, in the Pacific. Those islands will get swamped by a rising sea level. Um, these islands in the sky will disappear if the snow line retreats too far. You know, th there is the potential that we'll lose these sort of specialised species um, that live in the alpine environment, like our mountain pygmy possums. There are other animals there too that are, that are threatened. Um, one of the problems with climate change is not just this, the, the fact there might be less snow cover, but it's also this idea of increasing fires, increasingly frequent high-intensity fires. So you talk about really hot days. You know, um, the day I was up at Mount Hotham was the day after the 10-year anniversary of Black Saturday, mm. which didn't reach up there, but they did get burnt, I think, in 2003. And our alpine environment, as we did see with Black Saturday, is getting is getting burnt in a way that it never really was. It shouldn't burn the way it is now. And that's a massive issue for these animals. Fires are one of the main threats for mountain pygmy possums and really any of the species in the alpine zone. It wasn't meant to burn the way it does now. It wasn't meant to be as frequent as it is now. And the fires up there can be catastrophic. For animals in the alpine zone, many of them can survive the fires because they can go deep within the boulder fields and have some protection. But after the fires can be the major issue when there's little cover and there's little food and they can't travel the way they used to. So at Hillsville Sanctuary, we're doing our best to have a toolkit available so that if there is a major catastrophe in the wild, like a fire, we know how to keep the possums happy we know how to breed them. We know how to reintroduce them back out to the wild so we can step in an emergency and help when we're needed. Zoos Victoria joined the Mountain Pygmy Possum Recovery Team in 2007 when there were issues in the wild that meant a captive breeding program may be required to help this species. And since that time, we've bred over 100 baby possums. We've released possums out to the wild and we've learned a huge amount about how to hibernate the possums, which we do every year, what the best diets are for them, their mate choice, their socialisation. We absolutely love these possums and we learn as much as we can so we can help them out in the wild. This really gets down to the heart of things, doesn't it? Because when we talk about climate change, often it's presented in abstract terms um, and we're just barraged with statistics that can be sometimes hard to digest. But on a very intimate level, this could mean the death of the species. And even if we do breed them in captivity, how will that necessarily be enough to sustain, to sustain them in perpetuity? Well, yeah, we do need to make sure that there's habitat for them to survive. And as we've seen, what we do down here, you know, if we have drought down here, that could potentially affect the, the moth populations that they rely on. 
what we do in our day-to-day, you know, affecting climate change, that's hammering them up there through less snow cover, through increasing fires. They're already in this tiny, fragile ecosystem and we're just not helping them by some of the things we're doing. And they're only one species that will get affected by this. I mean, I imagine there are other species that will get that will get rammed by this too. Absolutely. So one of the great threats to mountain pygmy possums and other alpine animals in Australia is the fact that, you know, climate's changing, the snow line is potentially retreating. That's also a threat to ski resorts, is it not? Because you guys are heavily reliant on the public coming here and enjoying the snow. So do you feel a somewhat of a a kinship of fate in a way, <laughs> sorry to put it that way. Um, but is it, you know, there's some parallels there. Yeah, parallels there, definitely. Um, but the reality is we get up every winter and go, I wonder what this one's got in store for us. And we keep on trucking at this stage, but most definitely. Who knows what the future holds? I mean, things are on the change for sure. And we're doing what we can here. That's all we can do. It's a lot of talk of the resort, ski resorts turning more and more into year-round resorts. Um, and for us in particular, I think there's a huge scope for summer visitation. I mean, you look around us, Hotham's a pretty dramatic looking place. There's a lot of, a lot of people love to come up here and go for a walk. Why is Mount Hotham so keen to, to look after this animal? Oh, we have to. <laughs> I mean, the repercussions of losing threatened species is just too awful to contemplate. Um, the mountain pygmy possum is only one of four federally listed species that we are aware of and try and manage their habitat of. And I guess part of our key role here is to give them the best chance to survive and adapt to all those changing factors that we can't control directly ourselves so we're very cautious and and thoughtful of that and i think the more the public know about this little animal the better really it's learn to love it i mean it's 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 so cute <laughs> you know, it's, it's um its own um best advertisement i think when you look at one of these little things i'd be absolutely devastated to lose the mountain pygmy possum We've lost so many of Australia's amazing mammals and birds and reptiles and other species already. And there's nothing else in the world like the mountain pygmy possum. We don't have any other hibernating marsupials like this in Australia. We don't have any other of those really long little pink and gray tails that curl into little spirals. Those tiny little pink hands and those beautiful little faces. Losing them isn't an option. That's why we're fighting so hard with the recovery team, with Zoos Victoria. We're doing everything we can to try and protect and, rec- and recover this species because we couldn't bear to see it go extinct. There's a lot of work that's being done in the wild and a lot of work being done in captivity to try and save it. And we're not ever going to give up on them because they're amazing and they deserve to be there. There are 2,000 of them left. And what I'd love to see in our lifetime is those numbers start to increase again. That connectivity is back. That protection is there. We've got an emergency response strategy to help wherever we can. And we don't lose those mountain pygmy possums because I don't want the next generations growing up in a world without what is one of our most unique and amazing species.
That's great. Chris, every time I read about climate change, I just want to curl up into a ball and just go into a very quiet place because it gives me great anxiety about how this is such a complicated and seemingly, at least on a political level, unsolvable problem and will present an unsolvable problem for quite some time, it seems, and time is running out. As time continues to run out, is there any other solution in protecting this species as we try to solve this much bigger problem that has implications in so many myriad ways? I suppose, Ben, what Zoos Victoria are trying to do is make sure that we have uh, some genetic capacity. We have some individual possums available um, to put into this environment should the ones that are up there now um, disappear, whether it's because of a fire that goes through and wipes out their food or for other reasons. Um, so we get all Old Testament on this. We make an ark. It's an ark. It is an ark of sorts. It's, um, you know, it's trying to keep some of these animals, breed them up and also understand what's required for them to survive. We learn a lot from animals by having them in captivity. Um, but you're right. This is a massive, massive problem. It's profound and, you know, this, this, the situation of this adorable little possum um, is, you know, it's just one of many, of many animals that are, that are suffering because of what we're doing to this planet. This is possibly one of the cutest animals in Australia and we are killing it. You know, ultimately... All the efforts from Zoos Victoria and all the partners, you know, and people like like the environment team up there at Mount Hotham, it's about making sure this species can survive in the wild. You know, we have to ask ourselves, do we want a future where this adorable little possum only exists in a zoo? Thanks for listening to the show. You can find all our other episodes at theguardian.com or any podcasting app. Please give us a rating or review wherever you can. It really helps people find out about the show and hopefully build their own love tunnel. This is the last episode of the season. If you want to send us an email, you can reach us at australia at theguardian.com. Are there any animals we should cover in season two? Let us know. Look at Me is supported by the Australian Conservation Foundation and is hosted by me, Benjamin Law. It was produced by Chris McCormack from Remember the Wild and Miles Martignoni at Guardian Australia. Yeah.